All right, well, we're there in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 7, and I'd like you to, before we even get started, I want you to understand this chapter. You may have the tendency to read this chapter and kind of think like, okay, there's not really a lot going on in this chapter, but this is a major uh, chapter in, in Scripture, and uh, I don't generally use terms like these, but uh, what happens in this chapter is what's known as the Davidic covenant, and it's one of the covenants that God made uh, throughout the Bible. Of course, we've been studying the Abrahamic covenant as we've been studying the life of Abraham in the book of 2 Samuel, and there's a Mosaic covenant that God makes uh, with the children of Israel and Moses where basically it's, it's, it's very uh, contingent on the fact that they obey, and you can learn about that in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus where God says, you know, I will bless you if you do this, and I will bless you if you do this, and I will bless you if you do this, and I will curse you if you do all these things. And here we have a covenant that God makes with David. And, and here's what I want you to understand. This is a very important uh, chapter because da- David is one of the most famous Bible characters in, in the scriptures. And he's talked about probably more than any other character in the scriptures other than, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and David in this chapter, I mean, goes from a, a good, I mean, you know, he killed Goliath and he, there's a lot of great stories. But this puts him in, in, in the hall of fame. You know, I mean, this puts him in greatness because in this chapter is basically where God promises to David that the Messiah will come through his line, that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be a descendant of David, and that his children will always reign on the throne, and that the Lord Jesus Christ one day will reign on the throne of David. I mean, all of this comes as a result of this one chapter and the events that happen here. And it's interesting because when you look, when you look at that, you know, you would think to yourself that, that that would come as a result of some great victory. I mean, you and I would think, you know, uh, David just got done killing Goliath and God comes down and says, David, that was so great and that was so wonderful. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to enter into a covenant where your name is going to basically never be taken away and your, your sons will rule and reign forever uh, with the children of Israel. And in fact, the Messiah will be one of your descendants and he will rule and reign uh, in the millennial reign from the throne of David. You would think that would come after uh, killing Goliath. Or you would think that would come after, you know, being able to successfully succeed uh, Saul as the king of Israel. Or you would think that would come after some great, you know, battle or uh, 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 engaging with the Philistines or something great or big like that. But I want you to notice that that's not what happens. In fact, in verse number one, the Bible says this, and it came to pass, and I'd like you to, I'd like you to underline this. If you don't mind underlining in your Bible, I'd like you to underline this phrase, and it came to pass, underline this phrase, when the king sat in his house. He's not out to battle. He's not out at war. He's not out some great adventure. He's not out doing anything really all that amazing. He's sitting in his house. And the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. That the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God 
dwelleth within curtains. And I want you to understand that David is actually resting. I mean, David is actually, he, he's the opposite of battling. He's, he has rest round about from all his enemies. He, he has a, a break for a little while. He has some time to kind of get away. And the Bible tells us that he sat in his house. And as a result of whatever was going on in his house, David was prompted to do something great for God. And we're going to talk about it here in a minute, where he wanted to build a temple for God. But I want you to notice, uh, keep, keep your finger there in 2 Samuel. That's obviously our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Psalms uh, there in your Old Testament. If you're in 2 Samuel, you're going to go past 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, past the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, into the book of Psalms, Psalm 143. And the Bible tells us that David was there sitting in the house, in his house. And I want you to notice what I believe David was doing. And in Psalm 143, the Bible tells us that this is a psalm of David. This is, David that saw, that, this is a psalm that David himself wrote. And I want you to notice what he says in verse number 3. Psalm 143 in verse 3, he says, For the enemies hath persecuted my soul. Some of you feel like that tonight. You know, your family's upset with you because you're here tonight. Or your bookkeeper drops you, you know what I mean? Or your uh, insurance counsels you, or your landlord turns against you, or whatever it may be. And he says, For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. And notice what he says in verse 4. He says, therefore is my spirit overwhelmed. You ever felt like that? Is my spirit overwhelmed? I'm not really sure how this is going to turn out. I'm not really sure how the next bills are going to get paid. I'm not really sure what the future holds. And, and it may be for your family. It may be for your marriage. It may be for your children. At times it's for our church, you know. And you feel a little overwhelmed. But notice what he says. He says, therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. And then he says this. I remember thy, uh, the days of old. He says, I meditate on all thy works. He said, he said I, I begin to think about all the things that God has done for me, from where God brought me to where I am. He says, I meditate on thy works. Notice this, this word. He says, I muse. See that word muse? It means to think upon, to consider, to ponder. He says, I muse on the works of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land, Selah. And I want you to notice that what I think David was doing, if you want to make your way, keep your place there in Psalms because we're going to come to Proverbs here in a minute. But uh, go back to 2 Samuel. I think David got in his house and what he did in his house is he began to muse upon the Lord. He began to consider upon God. He began to think about God. He began to talk to God. He began to read God's word. He began to spend time in the house of God. He began to consider the things that God had done for him. And in fact, even in our chapter here later on, uh, look, look at verse number 8, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 8. We get a little uh, God goes through uh, memory lane and kind of talks about what he's done for David. Notice verse 8, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 8. He says, Now therefore so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat. He said, I, I, he said When I found you, David, you were, you, were, you, were, you were a shepherd. You were dealing with sheep. He said, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest. I have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great man like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Now I want you to notice... The result of David being in his house, 
musing upon the Lord, thinking about God, thinking about what God has done for him, thinking about the fact that he brought him from a shepherd to a king. And notice in verse 2 the result of that time with God. 2 Samuel 7, verse 2. And the king said unto Nathan the prophet. He calls Nathan the prophet. And he says this. I don't, don't miss what he says. He says, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar. David says, my house is made out of cedar wood. It's made out of beautiful uh, uh, wood. He said, I have a, a beautiful house that I live in. He says, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God, because remember, that's what we've been talking about in this book. They bring, you know, the, we spent the last couple of, of sermons talking about the fact that they were bringing the ark of God back into the land. Remember, the ark was a box that God had them made that was overlaid with gold that represented the presence of God, and it had all sorts of different things in there. And this is what David says. He says, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains. Remember on Sunday morning, we were talking about the tabernacle. God had them uh, make that tabernacle, and it was basically a tent. It was portable. They were able to pack it up, and they were able to take it with them as they were wandering through the wilderness. And David says, after spending time with God, after considering what God has done for me, after thinking about, you know, I'm sitting in this nice house with the victories that God has given me, with the job that God has given me, with the family that God has given me, with the responsibilities that God has given me. And he says, why is it that I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains? See, David did not like the fact that he was seemingly doing better than the work and the service of God was doing. You know what the sad thing is that today we have many Christians who are more concerned with their house of cedars than with the curtains of God. David says, what? He said, this is backwards. I should be in the tent and God should be in the house. He said, why is my house made out of cedar and the house of God made out of curtains? But you know what? Today in Christianity today, you've got Christians that aren't willing to jeopardize their house of cedar for the curtains of God. I mean, just, just uh, yesterday, Brother Vladi and I had a little adventure, and we went out and had a, a, a meeting with Pastor Cole from Capital Christian Center. This guy pastors one of the largest churches in Sacramento. We're talking about, you know, uh, all the things that are going on with our church and stuff. You know, I, I, I just, I, I walked out of there just angry. And it's funny, because Pastor Anderson told me this. He said, when this whole thing started a couple weeks ago, he's like, you know, he calls me, he's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great. And he says, yeah, you know, you're doing great now. He said, in about two weeks, you're going to start getting really angry. And he said, you know what you're going to get angry at? You're going to get angry at all the pastors that aren't willing, who, who, can, who will privately say, yeah, I, I know that's what the Bible says, but of course, they're never going to get up and say it. They're never going to get up and preach it. They're never going to get up and say, well, well no, well, actually, that is what the Bible says. That is what the Word of God. And here's why. You say, well, why won't they say it? Because they're concerned with their houses of cedar. Because they're concerned with, you know, here you got David, he's saying, this is backwards. I mean, I should be the one struggling. God should be the one. The house of God should be the one that's being uh, propped up. The house of God should be the one that's succeeding. But today, most Christians are saying, oh, no, no, no. I'm not willing to jeopardize my job. I'm not willing to jeopardize my name. I'm not willing to jeopardize who I am. I'm not willing to jeopardize my big congregation or my big building or my Bentley that I drive around. But listen, the problem with those Christians is that they don't spend time with God. The difference between the Christian who says, who cares about this world? Who cares about the houses? Who cares about the riches? Who cares if, you know, I beat up some, I, I drive some, I beat up, good night, they're going to cut that. I drive some old beat up Honda Civic, but you know what? Who cares? Let them take it. Let them take this building. Let them take whatever they want. The Christian who thinks that way is the one who spends time before God. Thinking about all the wonderful things that God has done for me. 
Think about the fact that I don't deserve anything. The fact that I deserve to die and go to hell. The fact that anything that I'm able to do, I'm able to do because God allows me to do it. But here you have David, a man after God's own heart, who says, why, why am I dwelling in a house of cedar while the ark of God is in tents? Look at verse 3. And Nathan, Nathan said to the king, now Nathan was a good prophet, but he spoke too soon here. He did not get the mind of God on the matter. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord. Shall thou build me a house? Because here's what happens. David says, hey, I want to build a house for God. He says, I, I'm living in this nice house of cedar, and the, the ark of God is out in, in curtains and in tent. And, and Nathan says, hey, that's a great idea. Let's go do all that is in thine heart. Let's go build that temple. And then Nathan goes home, and that night God comes to David, and God speaks with, with Nathan, excuse me, and, and this is what he says. Look at verse 5 again. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, shall thou build me a house for me to dwell in? He said, whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but I've walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, notice what God says, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, why build ye not me in a house of cedar? Here's what God is saying. God is saying, I never asked you to build me a house. He said, I, I never asked you to build me a temple. He said, I, 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 all I ever asked was for a tent. All I ever asked was for the tabernacle. And I want you to understand something. It wasn't wrong for them to have a temple. In fact, God allows them to have a temple. We'll see that here in a minute. God allowed them to, to do that for him. But here's what I want you to understand. All God required, all God asked for, when he, when he told them the tabernacle, if you go back to the book of Exodus, and we won't do that tonight, but if you read the last 15 chapters of the book, you'll find that God gives them real specific instructions, and he, you know, he tells them exactly how it's supposed to be built. And we talked about on Sunday morning the fact that God actually allowed Moses to see the tabernacle in heaven, and, and it was a pattern of that tabernacle. But then the temple comes along, God gives them no instructions for it, but God allows them to do it. And here's what I want you to understand. David was attempting to do something more than was, was simply required of him. See, it wasn't wrong. God, never, God says, I never asked for that. God says, I never asked for a house of cedar. But God says, I'm glad that it was in your heart. God says, I'm glad that you wanted to do that. And you know what I've noticed? There's two types of Christians uh, that I've noticed, you know, that generally show up uh, 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 to, to churches like ours. And there's the Christians who are just sold out, and it's like they're down for anything. I mean, you're like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they're like, I'm there. Soul winning, I'm there. You know, uh, we got to clean the building, I'm there. We got to do this, I'm there. You know, it's just, they're, they're, here's how Paul puts it, their life is Christ. I mean, their whole life is just around, surrounded by God. Everything's about God. And, you know, there's something going on. There's preaching. There's a Red Hot Preaching Conference. What? Thursday, Friday, Saturday? I'm there. Sunday? I'm there. You know, it's all. And then you've got the other Christians who, like, if you ask them to do anything extra, it's like, oh, I don't know about that. You know. I just decided, you know what? I'm sick and tired of those Christians. You know, and that you, you're welcome to come to our church, but I'm not going to sit here and try to beg you to do anything. You know, if you can't show up for soul winning, then just don't show up. You know, I don't need your excuse every time I preach on soul winning or every time I preach on service. I don't need you meeting me in the back, explaining to me why you're the exception. I don't really care. Just do whatever you're going to do. 
But here's, here's the point. David was not the type of Christian who was trying to figure out, well, what's the minimum requirement? Okay, pastor, you're going to preach about dress standards? Well, how short can that skirt be? You know, how low can that shirt go? I mean, you know, how, you know you, you're going to preach like men should have uh, short hair? Well, how, how short is short? Hey, look, if you can do this with it, it's too long, all right? You know, if, if it gets in your eyes, it's too long, all right? But, you know, people are like, well, how long does it have to be? Look, you know what? David was a man after God's own heart because he wasn't trying to figure out what's the least minimum requirement that's going to cost me the least. He said, hey, I don't want to live in a nicer house than God does. He said, I want to do more for God than what's required. And God said, that's a good thing. It's good to go above. It's good to go beyond. It's good to say, here's what God requires, but what's the best thing I can do? What, what, how can I sacrifice? You say, well, how do you get to that place? I'll tell you how you get to that place. You spend time alone with God. Christians who spend time meditating upon God, meditating upon his word, spending time in prayer, thinking about who they were and where God brought them, those Christians say, anything you want, God. Anything you want. I'm willing to give it. I'm willing to give it up. I'm, why, why am I living in a nicer house than God? That's the attitude that Christians like David have. Christians like Saul, they're just trying to get away. What's the least? What, what, what is required of me? You know, don't be that type of Christian who's just like trying to figure out, well, what's the least that I can do to get by? Look at verse 8. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts. I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. We read these verses. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and I've cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great man like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Notice verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. Here's a great promise. And they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of Israel, I'm sorry, the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I've caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. I don't want you to miss this, okay? Please get this. Because God is about to tell David, I'm okay with a temple, but you're not going to build it, David. All right? We're going to talk about that and why that happens. But I want you to notice what God says. Because David, here's what David says. Why do I live in a house of cedar while the ark of God is in curtains? He says, why do I live in a house? And he wants to build a house for God. And he's willing to sacrifice. And we're going to see, he's willing to give of his own finances. He's willing to give of his own life and of his own accord. He's willing to do those things. But notice what God says to him at the end of verse number 11. He says, also the Lord telleth thee. This is Nathan talking to David, what God told Nathan to tell David. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. Now here's what's interesting. David says, I want to build God a house. And God said, no, 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 David, I'm going to build you a house. And the house that he's talking about is that lineage of kings will sit on that throne and the Messiah will come uh, from that king. Go, go to Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter number 6. Keep your place there. Uh, Luke chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Here's what we can learn from this. You can never outgive God. You say, God, I want to build you a house. God's going to say, no, I'll build you a house. And today you got Christians, they, they, you know, they think they're doing God a favor by whatever form of service they do. Listen to me. You cannot outgive God. I cannot outgive God. There's never a time when I will be able to come before God and say, well, God, look at what I did. I said, you want to build me a house? I'll build you a house. 
He said, you want to give to me? I'll give back to you. He said, you want to try to bless me? He said, I'm going to bless you. Because here's the thing. God pays you for the work you do. God blesses you for the things you do. Are you there in Luke 6? Look at verse 38. Notice what he said. Notice what Jesus said. This is a promise. This is a promise. Give and it shall. That's a promise. And it shall be given unto you. Now, look. Here's, not, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, if I put $100 in the offering, God's going to give me $1,000. That's not what it says. But God says, if you give, it shall be given unto you. And what's interesting, in the story of David kind of proves it, because David wants to give God a physical, literal house. God wants to give David a legacy. David wants to give God a, 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 an actual price, a location, and God wants to give him a dynasty. God wants to give him a heritage. God wants to give him a God. So that, that shows that God doesn't always pay you back in the same way. And, and by the way, let me say this. Some things are more important than money. There are some things that are more important than just the house you live in. But notice what he says, give and it shall be given unto you. Notice, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Here's what he's saying. You're going to scoop out, David, and try to give to me. God says, I'm going to pick up that same measuring cup, and I'm going to scoop in it. But he said, I'm going to press it down. I'm going to shake it. I'm going to make sure it's overflowing when I get it back to you. It's interesting because David says, we're ripping God off. I want to give God a house. And God says, I'm going to build you a house. And, and the house that God built for David was better than the house that David wanted to build for God. Because you can't outgive God. Look, whatever sacrifice you go through, I know, look, I, I'm sorry. I feel bad for some of you. I, I, I know the story. Some of you are fighting family right now. And they're mad at you because of something I said. And, and I'm, I feel bad about that. I feel bad that you have to walk in through those doors and have those five idiots say things to you. I mean, I, I really do. But listen to me. There's no sacrifice that you will give. There's no job that you'll ever give up. There's no house that you'll ever give up. There's nothing that you will ever give up that God will not give back to you. When you, like David, say, I want to spend time with God. I want to reflect upon God. And when I do that, it makes me want to do more for God. I want to build God a house. God is all all he's going to say is, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to give back to you. I'm going to take the same measuring cup. But he said, but when I do it, it's going to be measured, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He said, it'll be bigger. It'll be better. Go back to 2 Samuel, look at verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. He says, I'm going to build you a house, David. And then he says this. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, we shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He said, I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going to establish your son's kingdom. Notice what he says, verse 13. He, talking about his son, he shall build a house for my name. He says, David, I'm going to build you a house, but you're not going to build me a house. He said, your son's going to build me a house. Look at verse 13 again. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, keep your place there in 2 Samuel and go to me in the book of 1 Chronicles. If you're there in 2 Samuel, you're just going to go past 1 and 2 Kings into the book of 1 Chronicles. And go to 1 Chronicles 22, and let's just look at why God did not allow David. Now, at this point in David's life, God basically just says to David, your son's going to build the house, David. You're not going to build it. Solomon's going to build it. But in 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 8, we're told why David was not allowed to build the house. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 8. 
Notice what the Bible says. But the word of the Lord, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. This is God speaking to David. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, and his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build an house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for uh, kingdom over Israel forever. So I want you to notice that David was not allowed. God said, David, you've shed too much blood. David, you've been in too many fights. And, and, it, and it, was, it wasn't because of the fights that he was fighting on, the, on behalf of the Lord. It wasn't because he killed Goliath. It was because of all those other fights. Remember when he was raiding the, Philist, uh, the Philistines, when he was stealing from them? Every time he shed blood where it wasn't for God or had a ju- justifiable reason, God says, David, you've disqualified yourself. I can't have you build my house. And you know what? Sometimes in our lives, we disqualify ourselves. I mean, I think of ministry. There are uh, some uh, men who would do a great job as a pastor, but they've disqualified themselves. They, they, they've, they've lived a life that caused them to no longer meet the qualifications of a pastor, you know, given in the New Testament. But even, even more than that, sometimes there are just things that we'd like to do that we're not able to do because of things in our past. You know, there, there are some opportunities that have passed. We're just not going to be able to do that. We're not going to be able to live that life or, or have that script. And David was there. David, because of some things that he'd done in his life, he had a desire to build a house for God, but God said, David, I can't have you build it. It has to be somebody else. It'll be your son. Now, I want you to notice David's response, 1 Chronicles 29. You're there in 1 Chronicles 22. Look at 1 Chronicles 29. Here's what David didn't do. David didn't say, oh, fine, God, and grabbed his toys and went home. Here's Here's what David didn't do. He didn't get mad or bitter or angry and said, well, if I can't do it, well, if you won't let me lead it, well, if I can't be in charge of it, you know what David did? Look at 1 Chronicles 29, look at verse 1. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen. He says, Solomon was the only one chosen. Think about, think, think about the words that David is saying. That must have hurt a little bit. I I wanted to do, I I wanted to be chosen. I wanted to have the privilege to give this great uh, temple to God. But Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender. And the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. And notice what he says. Look at his attitude, verse 2. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, the wood for things of wood, onyx stones, the stones to be set, glittering stones and diverse colors, and all manner of precious stones, and marble stones in abundance. Look at verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good. He said, from my own bank account. For my own personal goods of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God. This is the point. Notice what he says. Over and above. That's how David lived his life. I don't just want to know what's the least that I, he said. I, I, he did, I did over and above all that I prepared for the holy house. You know, you know what David's attitude was? He said, if I can't build it, then I'll help the guy who can. 
You know, so, some of you are like, well, I, what, what, what can I do? I can't stand up and preach. I, that ship has passed. You know, maybe I don't meet the qualifications. Or maybe I do meet the qualifications, but I don't have the aptitude to do it. Or maybe I just don't have the desire. You know, here's the thing. If you can't build it, can you help the guy who's trying to build it? If, if you can't do it, David, David said, I can't build it. But I'm going to prepare for the guy who can. I'm going to do everything I can. You say, Pastor Menace, what are you going to do when you're too old to pastor this church, when the sermon, you know, you're just too senile, the sermons are just, uh, you know, rabbit trail after rabbit trail, you know, what are you going to do? You know what I'm, because I'm not going to be, uh, I can tell you this, I don't want to be one of these pastors who's like 98 years old, you know, and the church dies because no one wants to come listen to a 98-year-old, you know, I'm going to retire from pastoring, but I'm not going to retire from the work of God. I'm not going to retire from, you know, I'm, not, I'm done pastoring, you know, done with soul winning, let's go golfing. No, you, you know, if you want to know my dream, my dream one day when I'm, you know, an old man and I'm no longer pastoring, you know, what I'd like to do is go help some of these young guys. You know, I want, I want, to, I want our church to send young men out to start churches. And then, I mean, I think it would just be wonderful to spend my retired years just going around, you know, if my sons are pastors or if, uh, if other young men that grew up in our church are pastors, going and just saying, we're just here to go soul winning eight hours a day for you. We're, we're just here. You need a break? You, you know, let me preach on a Sunday night. If you want me to, I'd be happy to do it. Just, you say, well, what are you going to do when you're no longer building? I'm going to help somebody else build. Amen. What are you going to do when you're no longer leading? I'm going to help somebody else lead. You, the, the, the proper attitude is to say, if God will not allow me to build, if God will not allow me to do it, if I don't get the opportunity to do it, then I'm just going to help somebody else do it. I'm going to help somebody else get ready. Some of you, you say, well, I can't lead the church, but you can give financially. You can get involved, you know, with your time. You can give of your time and of your talent and of your treasure, and you can get involved in the work of God. David had a good attitude. He said, I don't get to build the house. I wasn't chosen, but he said, I'm going to help build that house. I'm going to help the guy build it. Who does get chosen? And you know what? I don't know. I don't know what the future is of Verity Baptist Church. Maybe I'll never pastor a really big church like Pastor Rick Cole. But you know what? I'd like to help the next guy take it to the next level. You know, I'm glad to not build a big church if it means I have, if, if compromising means that's the only way you get to build it. If being you know limp-wristed preacher is the only way you can build a church, I'd rather just not build a big church. I'd rather let just Jesus build a church. But you know what? I want to do everything in my power to raise up the next generation. I want to raise up that next Solomon who's going to stand up and, and not compromise and take it to that next level. And if we can't do it in our generation, let's help the next generation do it. Go back to 2 Samuel 7, look at verse 14. 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. And if you're like, I don't think you say that about Pastor Cole. Listen to his sermons. He's limp-wristed. All of these guys are. 2 Samuel chapter 7, look at verse 14. I will be his father. Here's the, here's the covenant. Here's the major part of the covenant. I will be his father. This is what God says to David about his future children. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established. Notice these words. Forever before thee, thy throne shall be established forever. And I want you to understand, this is a covenant that God makes with David about the throne. All right? It's not, it's not salvation. It's about the fact that his children will always be, there will always be a, th- a, 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 a descendant of David sitting upon the throne. And eventually Jesus Christ will sit upon that throne, which is why it will be established forever. Because eventually Christ will reign forever. But I want you to understand, 
that this serves as a picture of a New Testament covenant that you and I get to come into. And this is a, a great example of, of the New Testament covenant of eternal security. Because basically God gives the same parameters. You know, the same reason you and I can't lose our salvation is the same reason that David and his lineage could never lose the kingdom. Here's why. Because it's a father-son relationship. Notice verse 14. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, you know, if he commits sin. Because here's what the, here's what the liberal preachers say today. Here's what the Assemblies of God preachers teach today. Well, if you commit iniquity, you're going to lose your salvation. You're no longer saved. That's not how it works. You know how it works? If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of children of men. God tells you and I, hey, if you sin, if you live a life of sin, I will chasten you. I will punish you. I will correct you. I will discipline you. But my mercy shall not depart away from you. The, The gift of salvation shall never be taken away from you. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll never remove it. I may have to spank you a lot, but I'm never going to remove that from you. All right, did you keep your place in Psalms? Go to the book of Proverbs. Just one book over. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 11. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 11. Proverbs 3, 11. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. My son. Here's a relationship of a father and son. My son, despise not the chasing of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. See, the eternal security of the believer is not the belief that you can do whatever you want and nothing will happen. The eternal security of the believer is a belief that you can do whatever you want and you will not lose your salvation. But that doesn't mean that nothing will not, ha- will not happen to you. Because the Bible says that a good father, and the Lord is a good father, who loveth and correcteth and chasteneth his children. On this earth, you will reap what you sow. On this earth, God may take out his spiritual belt or his spiritual paddle and give you a spiritual whooping on this earth, but he won't take his mercy away from you. And this is the divinic covenant. This is a covenant that God enters into with David, but it's, it's very similar, and it serves as an illustration of the covenant that you and I get to enter with God into, which is the covenant of eternal Security. Go, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, look at verse 17. We're going to try to get through this entire chapter uh, tonight. So we'll, we'll read and make a few more comments and, and we'll be done. 2 Samuel chapter 7, look at verse 17. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So basically, Nathan delivers his speech to David. Nathan says to David, you don't get to build it, but I'm going to build your house. And he says, and I will never take it away. And he said, it will last forever. He said, your children will sit on a throne for the re- forever. And eventually Christ will sit on that throne. But look at verse 18. Then went King David in. Notice, notice what David does. This is his pattern. And sat before the Lord. Isn't that what he was doing at the beginning of the chapter? Musing upon God. Pondering upon God. Notice what he says. And sat before the Lord. And he said, "This is look, Christians who spend time with God get their attitudes adjusted. Because notice what he says. He said, look, look at verse 18. Then went King David and sat before the Lord, and he said, notice the response, Who am I, O Lord God? 
And what is my house that thou has brought me hitherto? He's not even talking about the promise that God just made him. He's just talking about where God has brought him to to this point, the fact that he's the king of Israel at this point, the fact that God has blessed him to this point. He says, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou has brought me hitherto? Notice verse 19. And this was yet a small thing in thy sight. He said, you already saved me. He said, you already blessed me. He said, you already done all these things for me. And he said, and that was too small for you. He says, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the matter of man, O Lord God? And what can David say more unto thee? He says, I don't even know what to say, God. He said, he said, I'm the type of person that you want to use, God. I'm the type of person that you want to bless, God. He says, for thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. Thy servant. He said, God, you know me. David says, you know everything about me, God, and yet you bless me. You know everything about me, God, and yet you give me this covenant. Notice what he says, verse 21. He said, for thy word's sake and according to thine heart, thou hast done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Remember that all the great things that you have in life, God did those that you may know him. You have a real nice job. God gave you that to bless you so you can bless him. You have a real nice house, God gave that to you so you can bless him with it. You have real nice cars, God gave that to you so you can bless, so you can know him. Remember, all the blessings are meant. Every good gift cometh from above. And when everything that God gives us is meant for us to direct back to God. And here's the problem with most Christians. They come to churches like this with their life all messed up, with their life in disarray, and then things start getting better and we forget about God. And now it's like, God gave me this great job, but now I can't, I can't go through persecution because I might lose that job. God's the one who gave you that job. Amen. I might lose that, that, that house. I might lose that huge congregation. You know, Capital Christian Center, I mean, that's a beautiful building. I might lose it if, if I get up and preach anything against the homeless. Hey, you know, I thought God gave you that congregation. I thought it was Jesus who built the church. I thought it was Jesus who gave Here's the point. Everything we have in life, God gave us. Amen. Job said it this way. The Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not my place to decide what I get to keep or what I don't get to keep. He says, for thy words sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore, notice, wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee according to all that we have heard with our ears. See, most Christians' attitude today is, I'm so great, even God blesses me. David's attitude was, God is so great, he even blesses me. You understand the difference? God is so great, he's even willing to bless me. But see, Christians who spend time with God, they get the proper perspective. The problem with the Christian that isn't willing to give up uh, things for God or, or, or look at, why am I living in a nice cedar home when the, curtains, when the ark of God is in the curtain? Here's the problem with those Christians is they don't spend time before God. Notice verse 23. And what one nation is in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel. Whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations of their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. Notice verse 25. And now, O Lord, notice what he says. Don't miss this. The word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house Establish it. Establish what? The words that you spoke, God? 
establish it forever. And do as thou hast said. And let thy name be magnified forever. Saying, the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, has revealed to thy servant, notice, don't miss this, to thy servant, saying, you see what the emphasis is on the words of God. He said, he said, the word that thou hast spoken. He said, thou hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. Did you, don't, did you catch that? He said, God, you said it. He said, you said it. The only reason I'm praying, the only reason I even, I'm even praying that you'll bless my house, that you'll do, is because you said it. He said, therefore, has thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, verse 28, thou art the God, and thy word, notice the emphasis, thy, thy word be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now, let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, don't miss the emphasis, says, has spoken it. Do you see that? And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Here's what you need to understand. Our prayers need to be connected. When we claim, you know, we sing that song, standing on the promises of Christ our King. When we stand on those promises and we claim those promises, the only authority we have to do so is by claiming the promises that God has given us in his written word. See, you say, how do I, how do I pray? Claim the promises that God has given you. Look, let me, let me give you some promises that God has given you. You may want to write these down. Romans 8, 28. You don't have to turn there. But in Romans 8, 28, we're told this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's a promise. You can claim that. When you don't know, you know, what's going on or why it's happening or why did this happen or why did that happen or, oh, you know, uh, you know, this didn't happen to them or this didn't happen over there, but it's happening to me. Hey, you can claim this. We know that all things work together for good. That's a promise. You can, you can claim Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That's a promise. You can claim Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a promise. You can claim James 1.5, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask God that give it to all men liberally. I claim that all the time. I pray, Lord, give me wisdom. You said you would. I ask for it. You can claim James 4.7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've been claiming that one a lot lately. You can claim 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can claim 1 John 5.11, and this is a record that God has given to us, eternal life, and his life is in his son. You say, see, David goes to God in prayer, but he says, the only reason I'm even praying this is because you said it, God. You said it. And he takes God's word and claims those promises in prayer. I say, but how do I do that? If you spend time alone with God, musing, pondering, reading, praying. See, Sometimes over the last couple of weeks as we've been going through all these different things, people have asked me, what do you think is the future of Verity Baptist Church? And I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the future of Verity Baptist Church is. I'm not God. I can claim his promises. But I will tell you this. If you and I are spending time alone with God, musing, pondering, thinking about all the blessings he's done for us and where he brought us from hitherto. I mean, he's already blessed us, even if he didn't give us a, even if he didn't give us heaven, and he's going to. He's still been a good God. 
If you and I spend time thinking that way, if you and I spend time more worried about making sure that God's house and God's work is taken care of and less concerned about our house of cedar, if you and I spend time in the Word of God and we get our perspective right, that, you know, who am I? What, what is my house? And you're a great God, and it's not that I'm so great that, you, that even God blesses me, but God is so great that he will even bless me. If you and I spend time with God and get those thoughts right, I can tell you this, our future is great. In fact, I think we'll be fine. I think the blessings of God, because here's what God will say, you want to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house. He said, you, you want to try to do something for me? I'm going to do something for you. But if we're not spending time with God, if we're not spending time musing with the Lord, we're not spending time in prayer, we're more concerned with our houses of cedar than with the curtains of God, then I'll be honest with you, no one's future looks good. So I guess my question for you is how much time are you spending with God? And, and I'm not asking you to answer that out loud. I'm just asking today, today, how much time did you spend with God alone in prayer before his word? praising and thanking his name for all the wonderful things that he's done. See, the great covenant that came to David that thrust him into eternity as a great man, where forever he will be acknowledged as the king of kings and lord of lords, is sitting on the throne of David. What thrust him into that was not a great victory with the Philistines, was not a great victory against Goliath was not the fact that he was crowned the, the king of Judah or the king of Israel. It all came about from David sitting in his house, thinking and praying to God. That's where our strength comes from. That's where our strength will come from. Let's bow our heads.